Good morning. My name is Matt Morton. For those of you that I haven't had a chance to meet yet, and uh, for those parents who are here, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Uh, what you've just seen, that video is a very good description of who we are and why we are here as a church. Uh, that college ministry is not just an auxiliary program for our church. It's not just something that we do uh, because we happen to be sitting here, although uh, we recognize that the Lord has placed us in a very strategic location. But college ministry has always been very much at the center of who we are and what we do as a church. And so, uh, parents, we're grateful to you for entrusting to us your students for the time that they are here, serving them, teaching them to know Jesus, helping them know his word. That's the heartbeat of what we do. Uh, Because we are such a college-heavy church, as you can tell, if you've been here for the morning, we are uh, in a wonderful way, overrun with students, but it also poses some great challenges for us. So we'd love to communicate to you how you can help us carry the vision forward uh, and expand our ministry to college students. We're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 27. We've been going through Acts all year, and so we are uh, rounding the final bend to finish the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 27 is where we're going to be, and I'm going to start in verse 1 and read about half of this chapter before we pray. Acts 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an Adramidian ship, which was about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, We put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. The next day, we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. From there, we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. When we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, and he put us aboard it. When we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived off Snidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. When considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss not only of the cargo in the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. Because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. When a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Uraquilo. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along. Running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship. And fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and in this way let themselves be driven along. The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope 
of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Would you pray with me? Father, as we just sang a moment ago, we need you. We need you every hour of every day. As we sit here this morning, there are some of us in this room who recognize our desperate need for you because we feel that our circumstances are out of control. Things are happening in our lives that we thought we had a grasp on, and we're realizing we don't. Others of us, Father, are under the illusion that we are under control, that we can control anything and manage our lives. Father, I pray you'd break us of that illusion so that we recognize the power that you have over all things. Father, as we study your word this morning, give us wisdom. Pray that our minds would understand it. I pray our hearts would believe and obey, and you would empower our hands and our feet for your service. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, few things will make you feel out of control, quite like traveling. Uh, If you've done a lot of travel, you know that you routinely run into circumstances that you have no control over. Uh, A number of years ago, my wife and I had the privilege to travel to China. My dad was living there at the time, and we had some friends who were living there. And so uh, we were going to go visit them. And so we went to the airport to catch the plane. And as often happens, if you travel by plane or bus or cab or whatever it is, uh, our itinerary got changed. Got to the airport, the plane we were supposed to take to Beijing, where my dad was, uh, was canceled. And as we talked to the airline, they said, all right, the next available flight you can get on to go there leaves in four days. Uh, Now, that was about halfway through our trip. And so we said, well, we can't do that. We may as well go home and not go. So we made some phone calls and we found a flight that was also going to China, but to a different city that happened to be near where our friends were living. And so uh, we ran across the airport. We're on, on the phone with the ticket agent. They changed our tickets, called my friend, and I left a message on his machine. And I said, hey, we're flying to this city instead of this city. Can someone please come pick us up when we get there? And we hopped on the plane, flew across the ocean, landed in China, got off the plane. And the first thing I noticed that indicated this trip may not go as planned was that our luggage did not make it with us. Uh, we got off the plane, and it didn't surprise us terribly with the quick change in itinerary. They had not gotten our bags onto the new plane. We got off, filled out one of those little cards, you know, that you fill out, and of course, half of it was not in English, so I'm not sure I filled it out correctly, kind of worried. I turned it in thinking, I hope someday I see my bags again. Uh, Walked out of the baggage claim, and the second surprise was that my friend was not there. When you are flying to another country, your hope is you walk off the plane and somebody's there like with a plaque with your name on it, right? They show up and they usher you into a car and you go where you're supposed to go. We walked out, no knowledge of the language, totally foreign country, did not know a person and nobody was there to get us. And we were hundreds of miles from our destination and the sun was already down. Uh, We walked into this airport. Uh, The next problem I had, I could not figure out how to use the payphone. Now I have two post-high school degrees. Uh, I'm a relatively intelligent person, but the problem is that everything was in Chinese. And so uh, I'm trying to read what's going on in this payphone. Can't figure it out. Uh, it took me about half an hour. Finally figured out I needed to get a card, got this card, figured out how to use it, managed to get a hold of my friend. And he said, oh man, I'm sorry. I didn't, I don't check my messages very often. Uh, we're not there, obviously. And I go, yes, I know you're not there. Uh, they were hundreds of miles away. He said, your best bet is go outside and try to get a cab. So uh, I said, all right. So we walk outside. I stand in this line 
finally get up to the front of the line, and I'm trying to tell the cab driver the city we need to go to, and he can't understand the word I'm saying. I said it five times. He didn't understand. And I thought, we're, we're stuck. I'm going to have to walk to a hotel or sleep on the sidewalk, right? Uh, finally, I wrote it down. And he goes, oh, okay. We get in the car. I had him use his phone to call my friend. My friend begins to give him directions. So we're on our way. Two hours later, though, suddenly our cab driver pulls off of the road on the side of the highway just outside my friend's city and begins indicating that we need to get out. Another cab pulls up behind him. And the driver of that car begins to walk toward our car, and our driver is saying, get out. It's at this point I thought, this is the end, all right? (laughs) We're going to die right here in another country, and no one's going to know for hours, if not days. So I was not going to get out of the car until I figured out what was going on. I thought, if he's going to shoot me, he's going to shoot me in his own car, right? So we're sitting there. I finally uh, managed to call my friend, and they, they talked to the cab driver. It turns out, he goes, oh, no, what's going on is you've reached the end of the line for this particular driver. This is as far as his service area goes. And so you need to transfer to the other cab driver, and he will take you the rest of the way to our apartment. So we get out. We go, okay. I reach in my pocket to pay the first cab driver. I give him all of the money I have, and it's not enough. And he begins to scream at me in Mandarin that it's not enough money while cars are whizzing by on the side of the highway. I cannot explain it to him that I'm not holding out. I have no more money. I could give him my shoes. I could give him my shirt, but I have no more. I'm pulling my pockets out going, look, I've got no more money. Finally, again, get my friend on the phone. I'm trying to explain it. The driver is yelling at him. Finally, the second cab driver agreed to pay the first one on the promise that my friend would pay him back when we got to his apartment, which I'm convinced saved my life, right? So Shannon and I get in the second cab. We drive to my friend's apartment. Finally, middle of the night, we go to sleep. Our luggage finally did arrive on the day we were scheduled to leave, several days later. And I remember being on this trip, and about day three, Shannon, who's pretty mentally tough, my wife, she just breaks down. She goes, I just want a new pair of pants, right? (laughs) It's just too much. And I tell that story because it was one of those moments in my life where it was driven home to me that I am totally out of control of my circumstances. Control is an illusion. I can't control an airplane. I cannot control a cab driver. I cannot control the fact, at this point at least, that I don't understand this language. I can't control what happens. I was utterly dependent on the mercy of others. All of us have had those moments, whether traveling or at other times in your life, where suddenly the illusion that you can control your life shatters and is broken. So some of you, you're about to graduate, and you have believed for a long time that if I study hard, I get the right grades, I know the right people, I will get the right job, and yet you're interviewing, and the offer hadn't come. And you go, wait a second, I arranged everything. I knew what my life was going to look like. Some of you have believed if I took good enough care of my body and my hair and my face, I would be married by the time I graduated but you're not. You haven't even had a date in longer than you care to admit, right? That was me when I graduated college. You go, what's wrong? What happened? I thought I could manage this deal. Some of you parents have experienced this numerous times in your life. If 
thought, man, if, I, if I'm cautious with my money, I'm conservative, I save, I take care of things, I'll be able to manage this. And then you had four kids with cars and they wrecked them all in a month. Or somebody got sick and the hospital costs spiraled beyond what you could control. And the reality is we love to think we are in control. That is the American belief system. If I work hard enough, I smile enough, I try hard, I can make my life whatever I want it to be. But you can't. As we look at Acts 27 this morning, we see an instance in the life of the Apostle Paul where he's totally out of control. If you remember, as we have looked throughout the book of Acts, we're at this point in the book of Acts where Paul is actually a prisoner. He got arrested outside the temple in Jerusalem because of preaching the gospel. And now he has shared his faith with two Roman governors, Felix and Festus, and then with the Jewish king, Herod Agrippa. And at the end of all of that testimony, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. So now they put him on a boat to go to Rome. And on that boat, the wheels fall off. Nothing goes as they plan because the weather gets out of control and they're afraid for their lives. But what we see is interesting. Uh, Paul is unafraid. He goes into this storm and he exits this storm with a rock-solid assurance that God's in control. And so while everybody else is panicking, they're leaping off the ship, they're trying to kill the other prisoners, here's Paul, totally brave encouraging those around him. Those moments in your life where you feel out of control will bring your philosophy of life into sharp view. In fact, your view of God will be at its clearest when you're out of control. Because those are the moments where it becomes apparent what you trust in. Do I trust in my strength? my intelligence, my work ethic, my plans? Or do I trust in God? And when everything begins to fall apart and you feel out of control of your circumstances, what you trust in will determine how you respond. Do you respond with fear, impatience, anger, bitterness? And does that become the pattern of your life? Or do you respond in trust and bravery? Do you respond by turning around and encouraging others who are also in the midst of the storm? That's what Paul does as we look at Acts 27. So we're going to look at Acts 27 and see a model of a man who had a rock-solid conviction that God is in control. All right, the first thing we see, Acts 27, from the passages that we, the verses we read, we cannot control our circumstances. All right, let me walk you through Paul's journey. We read 27, 1 through 20 before we prayed. So I'm just going to show you, here's the journey. There was a lot of nautical terminology, a lot of cities mentioned that we're not familiar with, but here's basically what happens. Paul begins this journey all the way over here in Caesarea, right, which is on the west coast of Palestine. They begin to sail over here and the wind goes against them. So they drift up here where uh, Cyprus, it says, is on the lee side of the boat. So on the left side of the boat and they kind of hug the coast so they don't get out of control And they go over here to Myra. They pick up a new ship, a bigger ship in Myra that's destined for Italy, all right? But shortly after that, what happens is uh, they begin to get some contrary winds and they have to stop on Crete, which is right here. Now, it's at that point that they have a consult 
And the sailors begin to say, look, we think that we can get all the way over to the other side of Crete before this storm gets really bad. They want to go over here. Paul says, now, it's not that time of year. Uh, The winds were about to get rough. The winter was coming on. Paul says, we should stop where we are. We'll winter here. We'll go to Italy later in the spring. Says now, but the soldiers, the centurions who were escorting these prisoners, listened to the sailors instead, the owner of the boat. And they begin to try to get out over to the other side of Crete. And it all goes terribly wrong. They hit a massive storm and they find themselves drifting throughout the Mediterranean Sea, and they're out of control to the point where finally they're tossing everything off the boat. And in fact, what happens is these, these sailors actually at one point try to leave. Uh, here's what they do. They, they say, hey, we're going to go drop anchor over here to kind of slow the boat down. And instead, they grab the lifeboat when no one's looking, and they toss it out, and they're climbing overboard, right? And Paul goes, hey, if you let those sailors leave, we're all going to die. And so the soldiers walk over, cut the rope, and let the lifeboat go free. And the sailors thought, if we just try hard enough, if we just throw the right things out, if we make our plans, we escape at the right moment, we can control everything. But all the way through this, Paul recognizes, you know what, we're out of control. He knows he can't control the storm. And I mention this because I think many of us are under the illusion that we can control our lives. Some of you probably have friends who are getting married. Maybe some of you are getting married this summer, this, uh, later this spring. If you are getting married and you are a bride or a groom, here's my encouragement to you. Something will go wrong. Something will go wrong. Now, it's interesting. Uh, as I've done a number of weddings, there's basically two kinds of uh, brides. There are those who are relaxed. They enjoy the moment. They take it in. And then there are those who are just freaked out about everything. And before the wedding, I always pull them aside and I say, look, something will go wrong. Somebody will get sick. Somebody will forget something. Somebody will faint. It's going to rain, right? And there are those who they, they laugh. They go, yeah, I know. And I go, so just relax. You will be married by the end of the day, right? We'll say husband and wife one way or the other. But then there are those brides who gaze into my soul with an icy stare when I say that. Things may go wrong at somebody else's wedding, but not mine. And those are the weddings where I'm usually truly afraid. Because the first time that, you know, dad drops a pedal off his boutonniere, uh, he's going to get an ice pick to the heart, okay? There's going to be relational problems for the rest of their lives. If it rains, she's going to shoot the weatherman, right, for not predicting it appropriately. And, and, and I have seen this over and over and over again. Some are able to relax and be calm. Some just lose control. The reality is that the difference is that some believe they're in control when some recognize they're not, right? My own wedding, man, we had all kinds of stuff happen. People forgot their cues. Uh, the two people who were supposed to sing got violently ill the day before the wedding. All kinds of stuff was happening. And in those kind of moments, You have to ask yourself, do I believe I'm in control? If I believe that, I'm going to be disappointed when things don't go my way. Some of you are sitting in that position right now because something has fallen apart and you're frustrated and you're bitter and you think, man, maybe if I just paddle a little harder, I make better plans next time. I can control things. Some of you know that Kobe Bryant, basketball player, tore his Achilles last week. And on his Facebook page, he wrote just this raw, emotional rant, 
How could this happen? After all the work, all the preparation, 10, 12, 15 years of working hard, I've taken that step over and over again. This stinks, right? I cannot use the actual language he used. And then he said, yeah, but I'm going to get up. If I try harder and harder, then I will beat this thing and I'll come back and I'll be better. And Maybe. Maybe not. But we have that illusion of control. The reality is, Paul says, seems like as we walk this, he knows he's not in control. He tells him right up front, the ship's probably going to sink. But the reason he's not panicked when everyone else is, is because he knows not only is he out of control, but God is in control. God controls the circumstances. Look at verses 21 to 26. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Little I told you so there, but you can't blame him. Now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. All right, God gave Paul a vision. He doesn't always give us a vision as we're walking through these sort of circumstances. But God gave Paul a vision to say, Paul, here's why you're going to live because I've planned your path. You're going to stand before Caesar and proclaim the gospel. That's why you're on this boat. And because of you, Paul, everybody on this boat's going to live. They're not going to die. And so Paul can stand up in the midst with that confidence in the midst of these men and say, God has planned our steps from before time began. And he knows we're going to get there. We're not going to die. They don't control the weather. God controls the weather. Psalm 93, three to four, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. One of my favorite accounts from the gospel narratives, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Matthew 8 describes it well. Jesus and the disciples get in this little boat to go across the Sea of Galilee, right? They get halfway across and a huge storm kicks up and there's wind and there's waves and the disciples are freaking out and they're bailing water and they're running around and Jesus is asleep at the front of the boat. And they look over and they go, what in the world? So they wake him up, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? We're gonna die. And he stands up and he goes, why are you afraid? He walks up to the boat and he goes, be quiet. And it's immediately calm. And the waves stop moving. And he goes, you have little faith. Why'd you doubt? God controls the ocean. He made it. And so he's the one that can still it. You and I can't even control the weather, much less the big circumstances of our lives. Last fall, at one point, the temperature kind of started to drop a little bit, maybe down into the 50s. And I was driving in the car with my kids, and uh, one of my daughters, my five-year-old daughter, said, "Uh, Daddy, I think it's going to snow. And I said, well, sweetie, that's probably not going to happen here ever, right? Right? It doesn't snow here. Uh, You know, maybe once every 10 years we'll get a dusting. It doesn't snow here. And she goes, well, how do you know? I said, well, it just, it doesn't happen here. And the weatherman, and she goes, daddy, the weatherman doesn't know. Only God knows if it's going to snow. I think it's going to snow, right? I thought, fair enough, okay? Now, 
It didn't snow, but her philosophy is right, right? The weatherman doesn't know. I don't know. You don't know. You cannot control what's going to happen in five minutes, much less what's going to happen in 10 years. Yeah, you can plan prayerfully. And you can seek the Lord's will, but the reality is you don't know what will happen. God does. Parents in here know that having children is an exercise in loss of control. I experience it every night when it's time to put the kids to bed, right? I actually read a tweet from a guy this past week. He said, if you've ever lost at Tetris, you know what it's like putting multiple kids to bed. It's about right. Whoa, what's happening? Those of you who are in college, you're you're feeling that some. And I study really hard. I plan for this test. Why did I get sick on the morning of the test? I prepared for that date. I checked my face. Why is that thing coming out of my nose? And yet God controls the circumstances of our lives. Paul is not afraid because he knows who's in charge. You and I don't have a vision from God, but we do know this. God has called us to a task, to make disciples. That's God's huge plan, is that men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation will know him and be disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's the task we've been called to. As long as God wants you in the game, you're going to be alive and able to pursue that purpose. So you can relax because your destiny is in his hands. And when you die, if you know Jesus Christ, you'll be with him forever. He's got it under control. God controls the circumstances. He controls the wind and the waves. He controls our life. And because of that, God makes us brave. Paul's able to be brave in the midst of this storm because of what God is doing. Because he sees the power of God. Look at verse 27. When the 14th night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land. They took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding and found it to be 15 fathoms. Fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and prayed for daybreak. But as the soldiers were trying to escape from the ship and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. The soldiers are terrified. Paul is not. All right, we all want to be brave. Anybody in here doesn't want to be brave? I want to be brave when things are falling apart. I want to be that person that says, I trust God. And I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of losing control of my plans. Because God's in control. Everybody wants to be brave. I ran across an interesting story about bravery this past week. Um, And I apologize in advance for this image. Um, Okay, so here's what's going on here. You see the snake. This happened at a zoo in China. Actually, literally this past week. Uh, They feed this snake live mice, right? That little green snake, or big green snake, I should say, is eating the mouse in his mouth, obviously, all right? Usually the other mice run away and they hide, right? Now the other mouse on this side of the screen said, I'm not having it, buddy, all right? He rushed the snake and bit him on the neck to save his friend. Mighty mouse, right? (laughs) That's a brave mouse. And you know what? The zookeeper set that little guy free, actually. 
for his bravery. Also, I think they were afraid he'd kill the snake. Okay? <laughs> now, I look at that. I go, what makes a mouse brave like that? I don't know, right? But we all want to be brave. We all want to be that person in the midst of a storm that says, all right, I'm rushing in. And I'm going to walk. I want to be Peter saying, all right, I'll get out on the water and I will walk. I want to be the person that says, yeah, okay, so my job plans didn't turn out like I expected, but I will pray. I will trust the Lord. I will move forward in faith to see what he might be doing in my heart and my character and my life in the midst of this crisis. And that's what we see in Paul. We all want to be brave. Bravery comes from the knowledge that God is in control. Bravery comes from the knowledge that whatever happens to you, you are in his hands. One of the most famous generals of the Civil War was the Confederate General Stonewall Jackson. And although he ended up on the losing side of the war, he was a man of deep conviction in Christian faith. One historian wrote this about Stonewall Jackson. says, a battlefield is a deadly place even for generals. And it would be naive to suppose Jackson never felt the animal fear of all beings exposed to wounds and death. But invariably, he displayed extraordinary calm under fire, a calm too deep and masterful to be mere pretense. His apparent obliviousness to danger attracted notice. And after the first Manassas battle, someone asked him how he managed it. My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed, Jackson explained. God knows the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter where it may overtake me. He added pointedly, that is the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. I don't concern myself about the circumstances surrounding me, because I know God has them in his control. The things I cannot change, I entrust to God. And then I seek his spirit to make me confident in him that he will develop me into the man or woman he wants me to be, that he will guide my life exactly where it needs to be. And in the midst of a crisis and when everything seems to be falling apart, I can say God has me exactly, exactly where he planned for me to be. So ask yourself, do you feel afraid or brave? As you approach the end of the school year, if you're approaching graduation or maybe you're starting school and you're thinking about the future, for some of you, maybe your families feel out of control. Do you feel afraid or do you feel brave? I think if you're afraid, the first question I would ask is this. Do you know the God who makes us brave? Do you know Jesus? And does his spirit live in you? Do you know that Jesus died for all of your sin that separates you from God and rose again? So you and I can have eternal life. Do you know that your destiny is secure if you believe in him? If you don't know that, God calls you to exercise that faith in him today. To recognize that you can be certain that you're in his care. And even if you die, you're in his hands. And then you don't need to be afraid. And his spirit dwells in you to give you that confidence. If you know Jesus Christ, then we look at Jesus even in the midst of the storm. You know, I talked about Peter getting out on the water to walk to Jesus. Most of us know 
that halfway there, Peter starts to sink, right? And right before his head goes under, he goes, Lord, save me, right? Jesus reaches down and pulls him out. Why did Peter sink? Because he started looking at the waves. As long as he focused on Jesus, the waves didn't matter. Whatever it is that you're walking through, focus your eyes on the power of God that he raised Jesus from the dead. And a living Jesus is more powerful than any enemy, than any crisis, than anything you're going through. That's where bravery comes from. Not only does it make us brave, then it gives us the opportunity to turn around and encourage others in the midst of the crisis. God uses us to encourage others. I want you to look at some of the rest of this passage, verse 33. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been constantly watching and going without eating, having taken nothing. Therefore, I encourage you to take some food, for this is for your preservation, for not a hair from the head of any of you will perish. Having said this, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and he broke it and began to eat. All of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship by throwing out the wheat into the sea. Even in the midst of the storm, Paul is able to encourage those around him, go, look, you guys need to eat. Even in the midst of the storm, it's the same Paul that we saw saying just a few minutes ago, take heart. You guys take heart. As people are trying to jump out of the boat, Paul pulls them back in. When they begin to shipwreck here in verses 39 to 44, the soldiers start trying to kill the prisoners. And because of Paul's courage, the centurion saves them all. Because Paul had been the leader of this group. And when everybody else is losing their minds, Paul is steadfast. And you see that pattern throughout the book of Acts. Paul's in jail. He encourages the other prisoners. He even encourages the jailer in Acts 16. Because of the bravery, because of the confidence that comes to him. And he's able to say, look, in the midst of this crisis, I'm not primarily concerned about me. But God has called me to serve others. I wonder if you and I often have the strength through Jesus' spirit to do that. Or am I so worried about my future? that I can't take a moment to pray and encourage my roommate who's as stressed out as I am? Am I so sad about my loneliness that I can't encourage somebody else who feels lonely and sad? Am I worried so much that my world feels out of control that I can't take time to serve and love and show the love of Jesus Christ to those who need it besides me? A man named Viktor Frankl. He's an Austrian psychiatrist. He lived through uh, World War II, through the Holocaust, through the horrors of the concentration camps. And after World War II, he wrote a book, a famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he says this, we who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Where I would amend what Frankel says is if you know Jesus Christ, 
your attitude and your confidence and your courage stems from your connection to him. You're never out of his sight. He has never left. He knows exactly what's going on. And so those men in the concentration camp say, I can give away my last piece of bread because I trust in the God who made the wheat. Trust in the God who created me. And he's put me here for a mission and a purpose to proclaim the love and the grace of Jesus Christ to a world that needs it. And that's where bravery comes from. I know, again, that some of you are here and you feel totally out of control. Others of you, you feel pretty good. You're in control. That's not going to last long. I hate to say it. Wherever you find yourself, the challenge and exhortation this morning is to ask, what am I trusting in? Amount of money in my savings account? The A's on my report card, if, if you have any? the love of some other person, my body, my health, my good looks, my relational skills. Well, when those things fall apart and you lose control, where are you going to be? Will you trust in the God that made you, that raised Jesus from the dead and walk through those crises with bravery and with compassion for others? One of our passages we have memorized in the past with our kiddos, very, very simple, and you can memorize it right now, today. Psalm 56, 3. Psalm 56, 3. You ready? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. You will be afraid. I love it. That's my kind of memorization verse right there. Eight or nine words. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When you feel that fear coming on, I'm not going to get a job. I'm going to be homeless. I'm going to be lonely alone forever. Nobody likes me. My friends hate me. I don't have any good clothes. My world is spinning out of control. My parents' marriage is coming unhinged. My roommate ate all my food, and I'm hungry. Right? What will become of me? When I am afraid, I will trust in you. Because you are the God of the storm. You are the God of creation. You are the God of resurrection. The band's going to come up and do a few more songs as we close. And we want to worship the God of creation. The God of power. And trust that in every circumstance, wherever you are right now, he's got you in his hands. You don't need to fear and say, God, make me one of those men, one of those women who would walk into fire unafraid, knowing you're with me, who would sit in a den of lions unafraid, knowing you're with me, who would stand on a storm unafraid, knowing you're there. When I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. Pray with me. Father, we stand in the power of Jesus Christ as we stand here this morning. We are grateful to you that because of him, we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear the storms. We don't need to fear the crises. 
that often grip our lives and our emotions and our attention and make us afraid. So, Father, we pray make us brave and teach us how to love you and to love others, even when it seems all is out of control. Lord, I thank you for these men and women. I pray as they prepare to head into a new week, give them energy, give them joy, and the ability through your Spirit to attend to the obligations that we have in our relationships and uh, at our work and in our walk with you. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a wonderful week.